It's a problem that I don't want to admit that I have. It's a problem that I pretend sometimes I don't have. But in the past 36 hours, I've been confronted with it very clearly at least twice, and it drives me crazy. And that is, I'm not as self-aware as I want to be. For instance, this morning I had a I had a message that I needed to talk to somebody about. It's a little personal conversation I needed to have. And I hustled down the hallway and I barged in to their conversation and started talking. Only to realize that, shall we say, it was not a good time for me to have that conversation. And I walked completely unaware into something that I had no business in and I just started talking. And I sat, I came away thinking, oh, you knucklehead. You know, how can you bungle into some situation like that on a Sunday morning right before you have to preach about self-awareness? Ah, be thankful you never have to do that, just going to say. And then, on Friday night we were having dinner um, with a bunch of people and playing a game where we were to, to interview a partner and then find things about that partner that other people wouldn't know that may deceive the rest of the group so they couldn't guess who you were identifying, right? So, I'm talking you know, with my partner and what he chooses to reveal about me was that, in fact, I would consider cheating in order to win the game. That was his thing. He, so, this person, he said, would consider cheating in order to win the game. Now, of course, that's not what I want everyone thinking about me, right? So, my first thought is, of course, no one will guess that about me, right? Wrong. <laughs> Completely exposed. Everyone guessed it and there was, you know, I was the loser of the game. But, you know, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, we want to be... Uh, self-aware, and we're not the, I'm not the only pro- person with that problem. You know, I do know that I share that with a lot of people, and it is really frustrating, isn't it? To be around someone and, and you, they don't see how they affect other people. And it m- makes you just nervous to be around them. Well, I, you know, I don't want to make people nervous to be around me, but I do. And uh, so I'm speaking as much to myself as I am to anybody else uh, this morning when I talk about how we think about ourselves. I mean, it isn't just that I decide I want to bare my soul and talk about how I think about myself. And I don't merely want to say that the, you know, sort of the history of personal development and productivity used to be the power of positive thinking, but now it's more emotional intelligence, which is understand how you are when you're around people and how you affect them and essentially be self-aware. That's more, you know, the modern productivity thinking. But that's not what I want to talk to you about either. What I want to talk to you about is what the Scripture says about how we are to think about ourselves. And so to do that, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12 and we will begin reading at uh, verse 3. Romans chapter 12, 
3. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So here, coming right off the heels of this great text in the Bible about commitment to God, he tells us that we should think about how we think about ourselves. And he starts off, though, with sort of an on-ramp. And I just always want to point these things out because so many of us handle ourselves in, uh, I think, in worldly ways or difficult ways when we are inclined to give our opinion. He says, for by the grace given to me. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. This is the, the Apostle who was who received direct revelation from God about the Gospel, who was granted unusual authority to be the Apostle to the Gentiles, this was him. And he could have said, by the authority vested in me. But he didn't. He could have said, according to the power that God has delegated to me, I'm going to tell you, but he didn't. His approach to this instruction, his approach to saying what he needed to say to people who needed to hear it, was was beautiful. His approach was very simply, by grace. By the grace given to me. And I mean, I want to be the kind of person who speaks to my children who need instruction in a way that's graceful. I want to be the kind of person that speaks to other staff members gracefully. And I think that's what he's, that's what he's coming away with. And what he's setting up for us. That I want, this is a graceful conversation we're having here about the way you're going to think about yourselves in view of your commitment to Christ. And it's the commitment to Christ that is highlighted actually by the first word here. For. He says for because He's building off what, he, what came before, which is in verses 1 and 2, when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, this great foundation of 
the mercy and grace of God, the, the gospel is yours. So your logical worship, your spiritual worship is to present yourselves as a living sacrifice or commit yourselves to God, basically. And then he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you'll know what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that's what sets us up then, uh, this renewal of your mind, this commitment to Christ, these mercies of God. All of that comes behind his statement about how to think about yourself. Because of that, because of the mercy, he says, this is what you need to do. Because you've presented your bodies to Christ, this is what you need to do. Because your mind is being renewed, think about yourself this way. And so he, he, that's what he says. Among, I, I want to say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Now, I highlighted these words because four times in about eight words, he uses a variation of this same uh, Greek word, okay? Not, don't think too highly, but think as you ought to think. Think with sober thinking. So clearly he has a message. How you think about yourself is important. To be committed to Christ without thinking of yourself in the right way is going to cause you problems. And the... The explicit thing he wants to address is not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Okay, here, here is where we run into problems. See, very few of us... See, if you think about what I started with when I was talking about self-awareness, if, if you were to ask any person... After the service, if you do a survey down the market of choice, say, are you self-aware? Everybody would say, yeah, pretty much. If you were to ask them, so, do you think of yourself more highly than you should? Who is going to say, well, of course. Nobody's going to say that. Nobody's going to say that. But apparently it's a problem because it's the very first thing he comes after when he says, you know, present your bodies to Christ. And then think about yourself, but not more highly than you should. So apparently, thinking of ourselves more highly is a bit of a problem. But nobody's going to say that. So how is it that we go about thinking about ourselves too highly. Because really it's not... And there aren't too many of us. Some of us do. Some of us will categorize somebody else and say, oh, I'm better than them. But deep down, we know that's wrong anyway. Most of us do this without thinking about it. We're unaware of how we think about ourselves. That's what happened to me this morning when I, uh, when I had that message to deliver. I wasn't thinking I was better. 
I just wasn't thinking. I thought, it, I thought the conversation was going to be about me and about my message and about what I had to talk about. And I pretty much goofed it up. And you see, I think that's the way we think about ourselves more highly than we ought to think. It's when we are simply thinking about ourselves. And we're centralizing ourselves in our own life. When we're wanting to be the star of our own show. The hero of our own story. Now, we don't go and say that. And that's the problem. It's a self-awareness problem. The problem is we do it without being aware we're doing it. That's the big problem. And so what he comes to us with is really the encouragement to say, you know what? When you do that, you are thinking more highly than you should and you need to not think of yourself in too great a terms. I mean, uh, the funniest, I, I think the funniest way that this has been expressed was uh, expressed this last summer uh, when, when our president was, in, was called on, uh, accused by the media of not being self-aware. And he said, I am a stable genius. You know, well, I think about that. Am I a stable genius? Let's see here. Got two words. Am I stable? <laughs> Am I a genius? Well, guess what? I, want, I do want to think about myself that way, right? But I'm to think with sober judgment and not to think more highly of myself than I ought. And so, how I think about myself is the Christian... Uh, it's essentially the Christian obligation to think of yourself in the right way. This is, this is tricky. Because very few of us, again, rank ourselves uh, overtly. This is more hidden. It's, it, we hide it even from ourselves. Um, we... We do it by comparing. Um, th- this was really evident to me when I was in college. We, I had a, I had a class with my sister. It's a chemistry class, and she, uh, my sister's very, very smart woman, and um, so we, we had this chemistry class together. And in my humble opinion, as someone who doesn't think more highly of himself than he ought. The professor was not particularly good. And so we take this chemistry exam, and it's awful. I mean, we go out of there, no idea about what just happened to us. I meet my sister outside the building. We're on our way to the student union. And she says, I am so stupid. I am mentally retarded, she said. Okay, so I said, yeah, I think I did bad too. And we come back to class the next day and get our papers back. And the reality is, everybody had it, you know, like in the 60 percentile grade. So failing saved the curve. So the curve saved us. And she, like, had a 69. 
And she was so stupid and mentally retarded, and she beat me. And I'm, she's here and I'm here, and I'm thinking, hmm. And not just that, she got the highest grade in the class. And I just think about how that works for us. You know, did it help me to compare? Well, no. Did it help her to compare? No. What happens? We, we want to, you know, sometimes we trick ourselves. And we don't say, I'm so smart. We never say that. We'll often say the opposite. I'm so dumb, or I'm so ugly, or I'm so out of shape, or I'm so what it fill in the blank, so that somebody will come along and say, Oh no, you're so handsome. Oh, you're so smart. And what we're doing is through the back door, we're doing the very same thing he's talking about here. We're thinking highly of ourselves, and we're just hoping other people will notice. We're inviting other people to notice. And it's just so tricky to think of ourselves as we ought to think. And so his encouragement is then not to think more highly than we should, but to think with sober judgment. To think soberly. To see yourself for how you really are. To recognize You know, I do blunder into conversations sometimes. I do forget about other people sometimes. I do put myself in the center of the universe sometimes. I do think about myself more highly than I should. And I need to repent of that and figure out a way. And I I think he tells us the way coming up soon. Figure out a way to think about myself rightly. And so the, the, the best way that I, the best expression of this that I've heard, I think, it comes from Tim Keller when he said the good news is this. He said, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. You see, I like that because it has the full spectrum. See, it's it's sober in that it takes into account the information that we have at hand. It takes it takes into account Romans one through five, which tells us that we were sinners, that we were enemies of God. It tells us that there is none who does right. All of sin takes that into account. It doesn't say, you know, there are so many people who can't think of themselves soberly. So in order to, to make sense of the world, have to jettison what the Bible says about God or about judgment or about reality so that they don't get the full picture. But sober thinking takes in the full picture so we can say, I'm sinful and broken in and of myself. And I have to take that into account. Yet at the same time, take into account the fact 
that I am more loved and accepted in Jesus than I ever dared hope. And so I have both of these things. And the the problem is, there are days, aren't there, when I have a really hard time believing I'm loved like that. Which means I'm not thinking about myself rightly in view of the Gospel. And there are days when I really don't want to admit that I'm flawed and sinful, and so I'm not thinking about myself soberly with respect to the Gospel. And so the invitation, because of the mercies of God, for us is to take into full account all that God says about us, but all that He says about Jesus and all that He's done for us in the Gospel. And then we can think soberly. Now, I don't need to probably even tell you this. That this kind of sober thinking makes an enormous difference in your relationships. When you are trying to communicate with other people how self-aware you are and whether you perceive who you are correctly, that makes a big difference in your relationships. He brings it up again in a few verses in, in chapter 12, verse 16, When he says, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty. Now, both of those words, it doesn't use think, but in the original language, it has the same word we have in verse 3. For think. And so he's bringing this same idea back up to say, think the same way as one another. So you're going to have harmony with other people by thinking along the same lines. And then... Again, don't be high-minded. Don't be haughty or think more highly of yourself than you should. And so he addresses this thinking, but here he's doing it in terms of relationships. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you never ever had to worry about being put down again by somebody who wants to be high-minded? Wouldn't it be great if you never had to have that awkward conversation with someone who is you know, begging for acceptance or something? or that you were never the perpetrator of either of those things. It wouldn't be great. And that's what he says. That, that's what he wants to, to just work into our souls so that we're thinking about ourselves in the right way for the sake of our relationships. So don't be wise in your own sight. Well, he goes back and he, he moves from the way you think about yourself to the the context in which you're going to think about yourself, which I think is, is really fabulous. And he does it with a phrase that for us is a little bit hard to deal with. He says, so think of yourself with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Now, as you read this, on the face of it, we're probably going to, um, if you're like me, you're probably going to misread this phrase. You're probably going to misread it and think of two things. You're going to think, first of all, God has Himself assigned or fixed the amount of faith you're going to have. Like there's nothing you can do about it. You know, poor you, you just got a little bit. Or you're going to think about it in terms of measures. right? And, and there's nothing you can do about it. Or you're going to think in terms of measures, like go back to my beakers in chemistry class. right? You have a beaker and it has these little marks on the sides and I only get a certain amount of faith. 
And I would suggest to you that the point is not that you get a certain amount or that it's fixed, but rather that you think of it in a little bit differently, that this measure is simply, he has measured out and assigned a different kind of faith to you than he's, diff- than he's uh, measured out and assigned to, to me. So that what you get is, in your context, faith for, your, um, for yourself, for your belonging, for your service. I get faith for my thinking about myself, for my belonging, for my service. And it's different kinds of faith measured out to us and assigned to us by God. That, I think, would be the best way to think about it because of what is coming next. See, I think this is a transition to get us to this second uh, part which talks about belonging. You are to think of yourself in context of belonging to other people, so He has given you a measure of faith different from these other people, so that when you get together, you contribute something unique, and so do they. That's why He transitions by connecting the measure of faith with one body, many members, so that all members don't have the same function. So, this is both the context for thinking about yourself rightly and the way that you end up thinking about yourself rightly. It's the context because I think more highly, when I think more highly of myself, it's because I think of myself solo instead of as an ensemble. I think about myself as the hero instead of as part of the team. And you see, that's what he's trying to get at here is you think more highly of yourself when you are independent. If you're independent, you're thinking too highly of yourself. That's all there is to it. Because when you commit yourself to Christ and receive His mercy, He puts you into the body of Christ and you are a member of it Other people are members of it. And you're not the same as them. You're different. You play a different role. But it's not the individual that wins the championship. It's the team. I don't know how many of you got to see the College National Championship game on on Monday. uh, But I enjoyed it very much. Albeit, I grew up spending a year of my life in Alabama and became an Alabama fan. It didn't turn out so well for them. But, I enjoy the interviews afterwards with the, the Clemson coach and the Clemson quarterback when they said, oh, how, you know, how did you know this team would be so good? And they just would say, you know what, those seniors were really great. Or that receiver, unbelievable. Or, and they just gave credit all around to somebody else. Even though the, the quarterback, he was the MVP, but he was just saying, you know, that offensive line, he didn't touch me. Like the game's easy when that's the case. And you just went on talking about other people. And you know what? That's the idea. It isn't the MVP that wins the game. It's the team that wins the championship. And that's how God views it in life. So don't be an independent, rogue individual 
thinking you're all that because that is the message that follows from your commitment to Christ. Everyone's in one body with many members. Members don't have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now, he just took it another step. He took this belonging just a little farther. It's one thing for us to be in the body of Christ, right? So that we belong to Christ. I don't think there's any question that the New Testament says that. You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. There's no question you belong to Jesus if you're a believer. and You're part of His body. But it goes beyond that to say then we are members of one another. Of one another. So that you're a member of me and I'm a member of you and we we have to deal with life together. So that your success is my success. Your happiness is my happiness. Your brokenheartedness is my brokenheartedness. And it goes both ways. And it goes not just both ways with me and you. It goes both ways with you and the other people who are here. Because we are members of one another. And so what he says is, if you're thinking correctly about yourself, you will recognize that you must be in community. If you're thinking about yourself in the right way, it will, it, you will place yourself in and around and under other people. Now, the, the trick of this, and I, I, I mentioned this earlier, is this is not only the context for thinking correctly about yourself, but it's the way you think about yourself correctly. You see, what happened to me this morning, what happened to me last Friday, was that, I'd say whether I like it or not, but I just didn't like it, so it doesn't really matter if I say whether I like it or not, because I didn't. Other people pointed out where I was unself-aware, right? Other people made me more aware of, of how I impacted them and the world around me. And guess what? I need that. That's part of what helps me be more self-aware and think of myself with sober judgment. And so, it's a, these people who, are, uh, who I'm members with, these people who I'm close to, They're God's gift to me to help me do this. And so he says, think about yourself the right way. Recognize you belong to other people. And then he says, when you belong to other people, recognize that you have something to contribute to them. Or to say it another way, when you belong, serve the people you belong to. He says, you're members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. That sounds very familiar again, doesn't it? This sort of, this grace given to us in Christ. Then he says, but it's differing gift, or differing grace. It's many colored. Your color is a little different than my color, and they're complementary. They go together. So that you help me, I help you, we help each other. And God has 
made it to be so. He wants it to be so. And so that's the way you're to think about yourself belonging to other people. And then you have gifts then to put to use. And he says, if it's prophecy or speaking God's words, you better have faith in order to do that. So, speak God's words in proportion to your faith. If you're going to serve, do it. If you're going to teach, do it. You know, it's interesting that he doesn't say, we have gifts given to us according to the differing grace of God. So, put them into use. If spectating, watch. If sitting on the sidelines, enjoy. He doesn't say that, does he? Pretty much get the impression that all of us have a different part to play to make the team successful. So if you're serving, do it. If you're teaching, do it. If you're exhorting, do it. Now, I don't particularly like the word exhorting. I really have never used it, probably outside of the Bible. Uh, but it, it translates the word, it means encouragement. So, if you can encourage people, encourage them. It's not rocket science. And the other thing that I would say about it is that it's, don't pigeonhole. The whole idea here is not to say there are six things people can do. I wonder which one you can do. That's not what he's saying. He's saying everybody's got a part. Here are a few examples. But play your part. I don't... If you... This exhortation thing, or excuse me, this encouragement thing, that's just use regular words. This encouragement thing. You know what? You don't have to say, I have the gift of encouragement. Therefore, everyone I talk to will be blessed with encouragement. Okay, that, that's as ridiculous as it sounds. What I think you're to say is, I have 30 seconds in the hallway after church and I have the opportunity to encourage someone. God, would You give me a gift, a grace to encourage someone just in 30 seconds? And if I go somewhere else and then it's time to serve or then it's time to teach or then it's time to lead or then it's time to show mercy or then it's time to do half a dozen other things, great! God, would You enable me to do what I need to do to play my part in this body of Christ that You've given me? I think that's the way this works more than some permanent bestowal of you know, some sort of halo that everyone gets that's, you know, distinguished. It's just a different, you have a different flavor than I do. And you can get in people's lives different ways than I can. And you can see things I can't because I'm not that self aware. <laughs> and so God uses different ones of us different ways. So if you have the chance to encourage, encourage. If you have the chance to contribute, do it with generosity or literally singleness of mind. Do it singularly. Don't, don't be a duplicitous giver. You guys know what those are, right? People who give with the expectation they're going to get. Don't do that. In other words, just give generously. The one who leads, do it with uh, discipline or do it with zeal. 
follow through when you say you're going to do something. When you say you're going to take responsibility, take responsibility. Again, it's not rocket science. Just do it. it. That's what it takes. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. See, I just love how, you know, how some of these, he doesn't at all modify. If you're going to serve, serve. If you're going to teach, teach. If you're going to encourage, encourage. Like, that didn't even tell me anything. Some of these, though, are, are beautiful. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I don't know if you've been around somebody who, who needs mercy and they're hurting, maybe they're sick, maybe they're you know, discouraged and you're going to be the one that goes to show mercy and you go to show mercy. And instead of, instead of you infusing them with you know, happiness and joy and cheerfulness and you know, they... It works the other way. And you walk out of there like, oh boy, what a day. You know, I think he's encouraging us to say, you know what? When you get to be that person who has the opportunity to show mercy, thank the Lord and do it with a smile. It is a gift of grace that you get to be that person. So thank God that you get to be that. And so, this, this is just a beautiful, I think, expression of what it means to be committed to Christ. He doesn't say, present your body as a living sacrifice. And you, you know, you're like, that sounds great, but I don't know what that means. He's really telling us what it means. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed. And guess what? Think about yourself the way you should. That's what that means. So give some thought to the way that you interact with people, to the way you come across, to how you communicate, to how you fit with other people. Give some thought to that. Find some people to belong to. Because you don't present your body a living sacrifice in a vacuum. You do it when there are other people that call for sacrifice. That's what it is. And then when it comes time to belong to those people that you find, you express your commitment to the Lord in service. What do they need? Is it encouragement? Is it you know, financial gifts? Is it leadership? Is it teaching? Figure out what it is. Ask God for grace and go for it. And God will use you to play your part. And the beautiful thing is that you'll play your part so that the whole team wins. The, the, the glory of it is that God receives glory when His team plays like a team. When, when the church of Jesus Christ loves one another, serves one another, thinks of one another, that, that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing on the inside, but people marvel at it on the outside. There is nothing outside of the church of Jesus Christ that works like that. Or at least should work like the church of Jesus Christ should work. And so His intent is for us to, to commit ourselves to Him, be transformed, think about ourselves in, in a way that places us in context and serves other people. May God give us grace to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we have been 
shown mercy. That the grace of God has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Would you give us more grace? Grace to see ourselves for how we are. Grace to place ourselves in relationships that make us uncomfortable or nervous or frustrated or happy. Father, may we do it for Jesus' sake. May you give us grace then to serve those other people so that um, by this would all men know that we're your disciples, that we have love for one another. Well, thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.